The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Sunnyvale, California. Well, it is my privilege to continue leading us in worship to our Lord as we look to his word together. I'm going to refer to a few scriptures today. Uh, I'm going to do something a little different from our series that we've been going through. For those of you that are regulars, you know that we started in the book of Acts. Uh, we are now about to begin on chapter 2. Acts, book of Acts, just a wonderful book, very exciting. and It's a portrait of how God started the church, 28 chapters. It's a longer book in narrative form, but it's true history. Uh, one of the main themes, there are many themes in the book of Acts, prayer, the Holy Spirit, etc., um, how God establishes churches. But another theme that weaves all throughout the book of Acts from chapter 1 to 28 is missions, local missions and global missions. If you want a textbook on how to do missions for God, you start with the book of Acts. That's really what it's all about. And so in keeping with that theme, we already looked at Acts chapter 1-8 where God told his apostles, wait, be patient, wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. When he does come, then you will be my witnesses. You will be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be a witness first in your own home, wherever you live. That's true to this day, 2,000 years later, for every Christian. You start where you are. That's where you need to be a witness first. Might even be people who live in your own household. And you need to be a faithful, godly, humble witness to them before you're qualified really to go to the next level. Uh, so be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and beyond uh, to the, the uttermost parts of the earth. And so if every local church did that around the world, you'd have these concentric circles where we can cover actually the whole globe. And uh, Grace Bible Fellowship started about 10 years ago. We, start, we started as a mission church plant with 19 people and God has patiently grown us and sustained us, and we've expanded. In the early years, people would say, well, where's your missions program? Where's your mi- where I want to have missions? And I would say, we are a mission. <laughs> uh, the backbone of, a, of missions in the book of Acts is the local church. Missions begins with the gospel, and it culminates with an established local church. That's really the beginning and end of biblical missions. And so... Uh, God has allowed GBF to grow and mature and as a mission. And now we are able to extend the gospel beyond our borders here, both locally and even globally. So today I want to share uh, a few things about missions and what God has been doing through Grace Bible Fellowship here uh, in Honduras, where I was last week. Amazing time. Thank you for those of you who were praying. Many of you said that you were. I appreciate that. And then also a little follow-up on our mission to Ghana and then also Hope House. Uh, before I do that, just want to welcome any visitors. Already was just about every week I get to meet visitors to the church. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today, and we just pray that you are blessed. Met a couple, uh, out at Kurt and Sally Asire or something like that. I'm not always good with names. No, it was Kyle and Serene. I'm sorry, uh, are here here today. Uh, wonderful to see them. They're former members. Um, but also, I just wanted to say a word about um, friends of ours, Daniel and Elsie. Uh, Kirchhofer, which are right here in the front row, they're friends of Debbie and I that we met through a prayer group a few years ago, and they knew a guy named Austin Thompson, and um, he came here a couple of years ago, and the Kirchhoffers introduced Austin to the McManus family who introduced him to GBF, and so 
Uh, thanks for being here today. Uh, they're believers, and they live in the Los Altos area, and just being with us today is such a delight. So if you've been blessed by the ministry of Austin or friendship with him, God providentially used uh, that couple as a part of blessing us as a congregation. So just a wonderful gift. So thank you so much. Uh, also, a couple announcements before I delve into my uh, slideshow here. Just so you know, they're, uh, Rescued by Grace is the book that we collaborated on here at Grace Bible Fellowship last year. And just on the back table, there's about 20 of these e-copy cards. Where they're free, by the way. So just grab one, help yourself. Got to get rid of them. Uh, if you are interested in an e-copy of Rescued by Grace, that wonderful uh, book of true stories of how folks got saved through the gospel of Christ. Uh, help yourself to those on the back table. There are several things on the back table. Make sure you peruse that table before you leave today. And with that, uh, I want to go ahead and do an overview of my trip that I took last week to Honduras. Uh, wonderful privilege to teach the Bible. I want to thank JR for preaching the word in my place last week. Uh, many folks let me know that he was faithful to the word, powerful message out of Matthew 23. So thank you, JR, for teaching God's word so faithfully. And all everybody else that uh, just continues to faithfully serve in ministry here at GBF. Well, as I said, this is kind of our main verse of the day, um, Acts 1.8, which I just talked about. And so we have had a privilege uh, to go to different places around the world, especially in the last five years. It's been amazing. Um, and so I had an opportunity last week to go to Honduras, uh, which is in Central America, and we'll talk more about exactly where it is, uh, through a friend associated with the Master Seminary, and asked me to come and teach on a biblical apologetics to local pastors there in Honduras. Actually, there are more than local in Honduras. Some came all the way from El Salvador, a couple hundred miles away. and It was like it's a seminary school training Honduran, Central American pastors, really. Um, and this apologetics class served as part of like a two-unit requirement of their seminary curriculum. And so I went there when I was asked to speak, and I preached 11 times in uh, less than, I think, two days. So I was pretty much standing up all day for two days like this. Um, it was a blessing to do so. I was doing this through the organization that sponsored it. It's sponsored through the local church, but also in tandem with this organization called uh, the Masters Academy International, TMAI. The Masters, oh, that should ring a bell. Uh, that sounds kind of like the Master's College, Master's Seminary, Pastor John MacArthur. Well, it is. Um, that's where I went to college, the Master's College and Seminary, graduated there. Pastor John was my pastor for seven, eight years and still a, a dear friend of mine. And I've been privileged over the years to teach internationally around the world through TMAI. And the goal of TMAI, the Master's Academy International, as it says right there, pretty clear, uh, the goal is to train church leaders in their own culture through local training centers. So not every person who wants to be trained in the Word of God and how to shepherd and train to be a pastor can't afford to come uproot and come to the States to go to a seminary, can't afford to go to California. Few people can afford to live in California. Anyway, um, so Pastor John had a, a desire in 1986 that, wow, if we could just extend training for pastors around the world in their hometown, in their own culture, for those who can't afford it, and also uh, to train them where they are, where they can even remain on the job as pastors. And that was just a heart's desire that he had. And so that was the vision of uh, the Master's Academy International. Let's take the seminary training abroad and out of California and around the world in the backyard of these local pastors. And so that was the plan, and they started praying. And 
Faithful men were provided by God, and that first opportunity arose with Dr. Bob Provost, a friend of our church who's been here a couple of times, so that in 1990 was the first real realization or manifestation of the Master's Academy International in Kiev, Ukraine, where uh, a seminary began there, where formerly it was communist and the Bible was against the law, and the walls came tumbling down, and God intervened, and the Master's Seminary was able to helped start a seminary there in Kiev in 1990, uh, Irpine Biblical Seminary, it's called. I've been there three times. So that was the first outlet of the Master's Academy International. And uh, it's just a wonderful... So for since 1990, Irpine Seminary has been training up men of God to be pastors. And they also have a Christian Bible college where they're training women as well uh, to serve in ministry and in the local churches. So it's a, an amazing... They have over like 300 students at that institution so it's wonderful god is blessing uh that was the first one and so over the course since 1990 there are now 18 different countries where tmai has training centers for pastors and also for lay servants uh, around the world so god's doing an amazing work uh one of these academies rose up in 2004 about 12 years ago formally with the master's uh seminary graduate carlos montoya is his name and so now they have a Bible institute there in Honduras and a seminary for Honduran men who want to be pastors or who are serving as pastors. And so that's where I went to help train these uh, pastors. Most of them are pastors already serving, getting their formal training. Uh, it's not uncommon in these places like where I was in Ghana and in India and now in Honduras and even in Mexico where a pastor really hasn't a whole lot, had a whole lot of training other than He's been saved. He's been walking with the Lord. He's got the Bible in his native language, whether it's Telugu or Spanish, which was translated from the King James Bible in the 1800s. That's pretty typical. That's about all they have. So these Honduran pastors uh, are feeling quite blessed now that they're getting more formal training. They're learning Greek and Hebrew and uh, theology, and uh, it's just broadening their horizon, and they feel like they're better equipped to be a shepherd and a teacher of the Word. So uh, it's just a wonderful blessing. So that's the nature of the ministry, what we're trying to do. And then those who currently oversee the Master's Academy International, are the board who oversees it is John MacArthur, my former pastor, good friend, Dave Duell, good friend of mine for 30 years, my former Hebrew teacher, and then Mark Tatlock is a, a brother that I went to school with years ago, both at the college and seminary. So they oversee this ministry. And you can look it up on the web if you were uh, wanted to know more about it. Now, specifically, TMAI, the Master's Academy International in Central America, is called MEDA. That's kind of the overarching uh, organization that helps oversee this program. MEDA stands for Ministerios Evangelicos de la Americas. I don't know how I did there, but uh, I practiced my Spanish last week. For I mean, I took it for three years in high school. Uh, it's been 40 years or whatever, but I got a D minus my last semester. But anyway, but I got to refresh it last week. So it's called Meta. Uh, that's the organization there. How did I end up getting this connection to be asked to go to Honduras? Well, uh, I'm on the board of the Cornerstone Seminary this, uh, up in Vallejo, and this is our 10th year of existence at the Cornerstone Seminary there. And I... Two years ago, I spoke at their major, their pastor's conference, and they asked me to do biblical apologetics one session, and I did. And uh, there were men from 
many different places who were there, and there was one gentleman there from Honduras. I didn't even realize it. And um, last week he reminded me that he came up and talked to me that day two years ago after I taught, was very interested in apologetics, um, was trying to get a copy of the book. His name is Dr. Rob, Dr. Rob Kensinger. Well, he's the one that recommended me to come to Honduras. I didn't even know that until last week when I showed up at the airport in Honduras, and there's Dr. Rob. I didn't know who he was. And he said, yeah, I'm Dr. Rob, and I'm a missionary now here in Honduras. I'm part of the academy, training pastors. I graduated from uh, the Master Seminary in about 2006, 2007. Moved, been here four years with my family. He was a family physician for 10-plus years in the States and then just felt the, and an elder in his local church and just felt the call of God to go ministry full-time. And so uprooted his family, came to California, went to seminary, tremendous financial sacrifice for him but him and his wife absolutely love what they're doing and they know after four years they got spanish down pretty good by the way Hon, the hondurans speak spanish it's their main language and so dr rob was the catalyst that god used uh, to invite me to come over there and just a wonderful man of god and a wonderful family so uh and right now where they serve their academy or training institution is on in the middle of Honduras, very busy, off a very busy street and a busy city. Um, and it is, Honduras is one of the most crime-ridden countries in the world today. And so their seminary is on a compound. It's like a Christian retreat center. It's 12 acres, and it has a huge brick wall surrounding all 12 acres of the perimeter. And then on top of that, about two feet of barbed, uh, military-grade barbed wire. And then on the inside, to protect the compound, not an alarm system, but seven uh, loose uh, German shepherds uh, that I got to meet while I was there. And they said they haven't had any robberies or funny business since they've had those that alarm system of seven live German shepherds who roam free. Quite effective. Um, and so that's where the center is, right there on the campus. Um, so that's Pastor Rob. He was my host, along with Carlos Montoya. Uh, this is So uh, Dr. Rob's family lives... On the 12-acre campus, the retreat center, and it used to be an old coffee plantation. Then about 40 years ago, it was a coffee plantation in Honduras, and there was this old faithful pastor in Florida who was nearing his 70s in retirement, and there was some nice Christian lady who knew him and just asked him, so pastor, if money were no object, what's one of your dreams and heart's desires in this life? And he said, well, it's a no-brainer. It's to train pastors in remote places where they don't have the opportunity to get biblical training. And so she wrote him a check for like half a million dollars and said, here, I know of a plantation for sale over in Honduras. Why don't you buy that and turn it into a Christian retreat center? And that's what he did. So initially it was purchased just as a retreat center so the pastors can come and relax and be fed the word. And um, and that's what it was when Carlos Montoya from the Master Seminary went there 12 years ago, and he kept that up. They have about four or five Christian conferences a year, primarily for pastors so they can be encouraged and edified and just get away. And then he also began to build the seminary at the same time uh, in tandem with that. So anyway, so it's two main guys that are there overseeing everything, Dr. Rob and Carlos Montoya. And then uh, while I was there, I got to spend a lot of time with Dr. Rob's family. This is Caleb, uh, their 21-year-old son. Uh, he's a special kid and very friendly, and we, we kind of became buds and he likes the Cincinnati Bengals and not the Denver Broncos. Anyway, um, 
a little bit about Meta. Their mission is exalting Christ throughout Central America. So it's beyond Honduras. So you got Honduras and then Nicaragua right underneath. Heard of that in the news, especially in the 80s. Um, and then you've got Guatemala just above that, where my son Tim was recently. Um, and then going up to Mexico. So committed to exalting Christ throughout Central America by training church leaders to accurately interpret, explain, and apply the Bible through formal seminary training and conference ministries. And so these men have to learn Greek and Hebrew and study. And they are not, in this culture, the, I was told by fellow Hondurans, uh, they weren't big. They're not big on studying, sitting down, being idle. I mean, not idle, but sitting down and uh, studying hour upon hour. They'd rather be out working in the fields with their hands. That's just the kind of people that they are. Hence, they love uh, one of the guys there that's a pastor on the campus, Pastor um, Carlos Nunez, who's a part of this ministry. He is a native to Honduras, but he's a part of the ongoing ministry of training the pastors. To this day, he gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning, goes to bed at 9, works 12, 15 hours a day, and most of it is with his hands. Like five different jobs, training his sons, and he grows coffee, harvests coffee, and that's mostly what he does to supplement his income. So it's it's difficult transition to get a lot of these Honduran men to sit down in the chair and study and become literate and the, the details and the nuances of the Greek language and learning is very challenging, and yet they've been doing this for enough years now where they have established the pattern and they've shown these men can do it, and they're rising to the challenge. It's amazing. There are some very impressive Honduran men of God who have gone through the program and now have received their training and they're amazing exegetes and expositors and preachers. And some of them have a desire to get resources in their own language to their own people because they have nada, zero, zilch. Anything good, they got to find it in English somewhere from some European or American and then translate it over into their language. Um, so this was my official host, Carlos Montoya. He was the one that went over there. He uh, also was in business industry for years and then felt called to ministry and then went to the master's seminary um, in the early 2000s, I think, graduated. And then God just uh, allowed him to hear about this place in Honduras. And so he came, I think it was 16 years ago, and continued the conference ministry there and then began a seminary there and partnered with Grace Community Church, the master's seminary, and TMAI, and now his... Uh, Seminary is one of the official sanctioned uh, teaching centers of TMAI, Master's Academy International. So Carlos, he was my official guest, spent time with him. He oversees the program. He's the one that assigned me to preach or teach, uh, I think it was 10 times or whatever it was, for that two-unit requirement of their class. And just an incredible, he's my age, but just an incredible godly man, humble man, wonderful family. There's uh, his wife on the left is Lori, and then Three kids on the right, three kids on the left, six children, uh, beautiful family, most of whom were born in Honduras, and they're bilingual and speak English and Spanish. And um, So I was blessed by spending a lot of time with those folks. And it's kind of cool because they all live on the retreat center there. It's like a Christian compound. And they have four generations of the Montoyas, uh, grandpa on the left. The grandpa on the left, Samuel, he's in his 70s probably. For 40 years, get this, he was the voice of J. Vernon McGee radio station. J. Vernon McGee. He was the Spanish voice of J. Vernon McGee for 40 years, which is an amazing ministry. And a fantastic Bible teacher was J. Vernon McGee. And so there's four generations of that family. And then uh, we became close, uh, Abby and Grace. I think they really liked me because I brought candy over there for them. Day one, we hit it off with the candy. Anyway, 
And so that was the day we were departing. They didn't want me to leave. And I tried to fit Grace's on the, Abby's on the right. She's the short one. I tried to shove her in my suitcase and she couldn't breathe. So had to leave her at home. Well, where in the world is Honduras? Well, there it is. 2,700 miles from California down there in Central America uh, as we zoom in. That whole region and area is where TMAI is trying to reach. The actual city that I was in, we flew into San Pedro Sula, which is a larger city there, and then just down south, two hours of San Pedro Sula, is Siguatepeque. 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 Try to say that five times real fast. Siguatepeque. They don't even know what it means in Spanish. So, But that's where we were in the city. little overview about the history of Honduras. I found history. I'm glad I found out about these things after I was there especially point like number five, uh, a republic in Central America, originally a Mayan culture until Christopher Columbus and his brother Bartholomew came over when it was conquered by Spain. That's why they speak the Spanish, because the Spaniards came over, conquered it in the 1500s. Spain also brought Catholicism, which is the dominant religion there. They think about 50% Catholic in name and also the Spanish language and Spanish culture. Uh, they gained independence from Spain in about 1821 and have been, quote, independent since then. It is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. High level of illiteracy. This is the one that I'm glad I saw later after I got home. Highest murder rate in the world in Honduras. On Saturday when I was done teaching, Rob and uh, Carlos drove me around the cities and town, and on every street corner, there was a military jeep with like five guys in the jeep with their M16s or whatever they were, and their machine guns, and they're ready to go. It's like, wow, they are armed and everywhere, and they need to be. Um, hence the wall around the perimeter of the, the compound. But it is, even though it's poor, it's very rich in minerals like silver. Coffee is everywhere. Some of the greatest coffee in the world is there. I brought some home from the pastor who grows coffee and harvested fruit and sugar there is extreme political corruption now that's what i heard when i was in ghana africa remember samuel who came to visit us and vincent Osamoa came to visit to tell us that extreme political corruption in ghana i heard that in india too when i was there i'm trying to th- i don't think there's a country that doesn't have extreme political corruption but anyway behind the scenes that's the nature of fallen man and living in the times of the gentiles uh, currently about 8 million people there, and as I said, it's about 50% Catholic, so that's just an overview. And then just a couple pictures of the compound. Uh, it's just huge fields. They've got dorm rooms. They've got housing. They've got uh, several houses where Carlos Montoya, the overseer, lives, and then Dr. Rob, who helped. He's a teacher, and his family lives there. And then there's a pastor named Carlos Nunez. He's the one that is native to the area, and he helps oversee, and he's got all the connections and the network with the Honduran people, and he assists in the ministry. So they all live on this. Um, property, and then they have a soccer field, of course, because that's the only sport that exists in Honduras. As a matter of fact, they they would say that's the only sport that exists on earth is soccer or football. Uh, So they have their soccer field, and you see soccer fields everywhere you go. They have a dorm uh, building, which is very nice. It's got 24 dorm rooms, and they can fit four pastors in each room. That's when they have their conferences. That's where the pastors or the pastor's family stay. Not the greatest picture in the world. Sorry about that. Uh, They built a brand-new little... uh, suite for the speaker so i was living in a pretty sweet suite notice 
I had my own sink. I never used it. My own oven, my own refrigerator, all those cabinets, I couldn't fill them. Uh, but nice accommodations for being in Honduras, and that's the outside of the building uh, where they had me stay. Uh, now, regarding the conference itself, uh, La Apologetica, Coma Defender La Fe, de- Defending the Faith. Uh, they did spell my name wrong at the end with two N's, but that's okay. Maybe that's the Spanish version of my last name, I think, is just you put two N's in there. Here was the leadership team. So on the left is Carlos Nunez. He is uh, the one who's indigenous to the area, and he also helps oversee the ministry. And he is English not so very good, but I had dinner at his house a couple times. So that was kind of fun uh, without a translator. We were getting through trying to make it, but... He's the coffee grower as well. And then next to him is Carlos Montoya. He speaks uh, American because that's where he was born. And Spanish very well. And he's the overseer of it all. And then next to him, uh, the, the guy I'm next to is Hernan. Hernan is from Honduras. Hernan uh, got saved in Honduras. He's probably about 30 years old. He was my translator. So when I got picked up from the airport when I arrived and we're driving two hours to get to the Christian compound... I asked Carlos Montoya and Dr. Rob, so I have a translator, see? And then Carlos said, not only do you have a translator, you have the best translator in Honduras. I was like, oh, okay. Well, uh, Hernan, I can testify, is the best translator in Honduras. He, he was absolutely amazing, phenomenal, passionate, powerful. Uh, he's a pastor, a local Honduran pastor. He is uh, in the seminary. He's taken Greek, and he's highly educated, uh, and he can not just transliterate what I'm saying, but the finer nuances of what I'm saying as an American, but also the finer nuances of theology, which is very important. And like I said, he was a charismatic, articulate, passionate, amazing uh, speaker and communicator, and it didn't matter how monotone or boring I was, he would make it lively, and the they were engaged. I was a great teacher because Hernan was so good. So what a blessed gift. Those of you who have ever tried to teach through an interpreter, it's not always easy. And so this brother did a fantastic job. After every, we did like 10 sessions for over an hour. And after we finished every time, he'd just give me a big hug. Say, muy bien, muy bien, hermano. Um, and so he was overwhelmed and impacted by biblical apologetics. He'd never heard anything like it. He's never had this training. He said, we need this in the Spanish language. We need this for our men. I need to translate your book into Spanish. It's like, wow, let's pray. So he's going to try the first chapter and see how it goes. But he's a busy man. He's a full-time pastor. He's got like three jobs on the side. He's got a wife. He's got many children. Um, but he's going to try to work this in. So be praying for Hernan and see if uh, that book in the Spanish language happens. So here's the beautiful conference that they have on the, the campus. That's just from the back of the room. Uh, so it is quite beautiful. And the music they had was amazing. Um, they had simple, but, and I think every song that they sang was a familiar one that we've sung here at our church. Absolutely beautiful. The conference primarily was for, uh, pastors and their families. So there were probably 40 plus pastors there, but they brought their families. They brought their wives, they brought their children. And so we're sitting in a room about this big with about this many people for the conference. And there were three-year-olds sitting there and 11-year-olds and nine-year-olds and 10-year-olds. And, and I actually never noticed the children at all um, being noisy or getting out of hand. I mean, they probably were because I'm a pretty oblivious guy. Um, but it, that's just kind of how they do it in their culture. It's like a family affair kind of thing, even though this was primarily for the pastor. There were grandmas there. 
Uh, they were delightful as can be. So it was a, like a family conference on apologetics. And they all brought their Bibles. And they were in the Word. And again, these pictures aren't the brightest in the world from my cell phone. Sorry about that. But uh, So here was time in the Word. Now this, you can't really see it, but what, what in the world are they doing? They're doing a sword drill. One of my first sessions, I asked him, anybody here know what a sword drill is? And out of 120 people, I think there were one or two people who knew what it was, and they were Americans who were, came over. So a sword drill was not well known in Honduras. So I, I taught them what a sword drill was with the Bible. You know, the Bible's the sword, and it, you give a passage, and then they have to look it up as fast as they can. And when they find the passage, they get to stand up and read the verse. And, oh, man, they were just eating that up. They wanted to do that every session we met. Can we do a sword drill? Can we do a sword These are adults, grown-up people. <laughs> Mature, this is not just for kids. And so we had a sword drill competition. We did it every time when we opened our session. They absolutely loved it. Um, this, I did the same thing when I went to Siberia to the pastors there, the 35 pastors. They didn't know what a sword drill was. They loved it. I did it in Kiev when I went there. They didn't know what that was. They loved it. Um, so we had a great time doing that. Another feature distinctive of this conference was, especially in their culture, First Timothy 2.11 says, let A woman learn, let the women learn. This is a command by the Apostle Paul in his day 2,000 years ago in his culture. That was quite shocking, startling, scandalous of a concept. Let the women learn. Most cultures demeaned women. They didn't let the women learn, the pagans, the Greeks. They were kind of outcasts. They shouldn't be learning. They don't have the capability to learn. Even some religions, world religions today, believe that the woman is inferior. She can't learn. She doesn't need to. Yet a distinctive of the Bible and the Jewish people and the Israelites from the time of Moses on especially was God's view was let the women learn. And that was a distinctive of the Jewish synagogue where it wasn't just for males. It was for females as well. Let the women learn. The temple of God was in Jerusalem. It wasn't just a place for men. There were a place where women could go and learn. And this is brought over into Christianity by God himself when he said in First Timothy 2, let the women learn. Again, this was scandalous to the culture around them and the Gentiles and the pagans. And the book of Luke in particular with Jesus, you see these women all throughout the gospel of Luke for 24 chapters. The women are here, the women are there. The women are ministering to Jesus. They're listening to Jesus. They're learning from Jesus. They're in a Bible study with Jesus. Jesus tells them they should be learning at his feet, studying with the rabbi. That's a distinctive of biblical Christianity. It was a beautiful thing because at this conference, there were women all throughout this conference that was supposed to be for pastors because they're there supporting their husbands and they want to learn along with them. And even grandmas. I was walking through the crowd after a day of sessions and these grandmas, they were grabbing on me and I couldn't understand them. They couldn't understand me and they pulled me over. They want a picture of me. So the grandmas, they were having a great time. Uh, one of the women, speaking of the women, the next few pictures are of special women at this retreat. This lady, her name was Maria the Ginger Lady. Well, Maria was there with her husband, who's a pastor. And I didn't even know. This is how oblivious I am. So like three sessions go by, and this lady keeps coming up with this little cup of hot whatever it is. And I, the first time, I was afraid to drink it. I didn't know what it was. So I didn't. And then the second time I tried it, I was like, ooh, that's pretty good. Ooh, I needed that. And then the next time, it was like in the morning, and I really needed it in the morning. And I drank the whole thing. Man, that was good. That tasted like gin. So I asked her. Or no, I asked Arnon, my, my translator. I said, who? Is that like ginger, hot ginger stuff? He said, oh, absolutely. Well, who is that lady? He said, well, that's Maria the ginger lady. 
uh, she goes to my church and every Sunday morning before I preach and every uh, Sunday night before I preach and every Wednesday before I preach, I said, dude, you preach a lot. But anyway, uh, every time I preach and teach, she is there and she brings hot ginger for me before I preach. I said, that is awesome. I need to start this ministry at my church. <laughs> Who is the next ginger lady at GBF? Anyway, Austin introduced me to ginger, but very beneficial. Sweet lady. Here's more. There's those grandmas. Terrible picture anyway. They bunch of grandmas. Uh, one thing I do when I teach apologetics, uh, wherever I've taught it, uh, in like I said, in Siberia and Ukraine and uh, different places, uh, and, and then at the seminary up in Vallejo, if you take apologetics with Professor McManus, at some point in apologetics, apologetics is about defending the faith. So you've got to, at some point, be subjected to a difficult question as a Christian that you have to try to understand. And so... During the course of me teaching apologetics, I always invite a special guest. His name is Joe Skeptic, and it's actually me. And I will have a hot seat in the classroom, and I'll have one of the seminary students sit in the hot seat, and then I'll go to the back of the room and sometimes videotape it. And I try to humiliate him in front of all of his seminary friends by asking them just a difficult question, a contradiction in the Bible that skeptics will typically come up with. For example, uh, I'll be at that back of the room. Hi, I'm Joe Skeptic. What's your name? Oh, you believe in the Bible. Oh, okay, it doesn't have any errors. Really? It doesn't have any errors? Okay, well, I got one for you. Um, if God is, you Christians, if God is so good and he's all loving and he's all powerful, then why is there so much suffering in the world? Because if God was all powerful, he could stop it. If he was all loving, he would stop it. He would prevent it. He wouldn't, he wouldn't uh, let it happen. And yet we see this rampant suffering all over the world. Explain that. Well, Christians have a hard time answering that sometimes. That's the problem of evil. And so Pastor Bob, he took apologetics from me at the seminary, and so he was in the hot seat before. And Austin, he took apologetics from me, and I put him in the hot seat. Um, and so I put some of these people in the hot seat. Pastors had them come up, and they had to sit on the stage in front of 120 people, and then I'd ask them a question. They'd have to defend it. And then I'm this prosecuting attorney asking all these questions, difficult questions. Some people say I missed my calling. I shouldn't have been a pastor. I should have been a prosecuting attorney. That's a different topic. But anyway, so I'm... Uh, I'm not being light on these guys. You've got to defend the word of God against the skeptics uh, regarding the veracity of the word of God. You think it's inerrant. You need to defend the faith in the words of 1 Peter 3.15. So that was kind of a fun activity. Um, and it was a wee bit imitating, uh, intimidating for some of them. So then the next day I did something I've never done before. I put myself in the hot seat. And then I allowed those in the congregation to come and interrogate me. And they were Joe Skeptic. And I was Cliff the Christian. And so they came one at a time. And it was first it was like five or six pastors, and they all asked me a hard question. They threw, threw me a bunch of softballs, and they're all nice and polite and don't want to hurt my feelings. And then I kind of said, this is pathetic. You guys are being too easy on me. Be like a real atheist, a real skeptic, a real critic of the faith. And so um, this this lady said, okay, I will. And so she get that's a lady right there. So she comes up with her Bible and uh, zooming in, uh, Daniela. And she just lays into me, and she's got this very difficult... It was a passage out of Joshua where God commands uh, the Israelites to go in and slaughter all the people in the city, including the women and the babies. And she's reading this to me and saying, if your, your God is all-loving, this is unbelievable. And she's just infanticide and killing babies. And what kind of God is that? And, what kind, and that was a very difficult passage to answer. And she would not relent. And she, she made me cry, basically. And she's smiling that she made me cry. Anyway, that was... Danielle, she just happened to be uh, my translator's wife. I said, whoa, that's your wife? Wow. 
She was good. Muy bien. Other women that were impressive there? That This is a female German Shepherd. <laughs> Zoe. She was very friendly. She's only a year old. My goal was to get, since I grew up with the German Shepherd for 13 years, my goal was to get all roving seven German Shepherds together and get a picture. It never happened. The closest I got was three at the same time. And my posse. And then Zoe, she's actually biting my ear in this picture. You can't see it. It hurt. She started licking it, and then she started eating it. <laughs> this is one example. This is Marvin. Pastor Marvin uh, from Trujillo is a city. Uh, he's a local pastor. He said he has six jobs. He has three boys. He makes very little money, but he has the privilege of serving his local church as the pastor. All he has is a Bible in Spanish. Like I said, it was translated in the 1800s from King James. He has no resources. He loved the conference. He loved learning. It was ama- he was impressive what he knew in the Bible. And I asked, do you have a, like any tools, resources, commentaries, study Bible? He said, no, not a, a, you do now. So I gave him my copy of my Spanish um, MacArthur study Bible. And he was blown away. He absolutely loved it, almost started crying. So Pastor Marvin, wonderful. By the way, uh, a family here in our church gave me 20 MacArthur study Bibles in Spanish to take with me as a gift. And it just absolutely blessed them, flew them away. Then we went to see the local church, uh, the Baptist church. This is uh, Pastor Rob and Carlos's church, and that behind the church. This is a medical facility they're building because uh, the church is going to. If you can't, if the church doesn't give medical care in Honduras, then you're not going to get medical care. And so their church is going to have a ministry. Uh, this is a local corner. This is how they do electricity in Honduras. They don't have any codes. Thought that was an interesting picture. Uh, and this is just the front of the Baptist church, wonderful church, and this is the road in front of the church. That's typical. There were no roads with pavement uh, except one in the city. And then at the end of the camp, we all got together, group shot. Uh, just wonderful people, blessed time. Thank you for allowing me to go there. By the way, when TMA sends me somewhere to Kiev or Honduras, their ministry takes care of it. They pay for my airfare. They pay for my housing. They pay for everything. So it's not a burden to our church. So that was uh, an overview of Honduras, and they want me to come back in three years, and who knows, uh, maybe, you know, others from our church can go there and teach, uh, Derek and JR, we'll just keep that in prayer. Uh, a little transition, I want to talk about two other uh, footnotes regarding ongoing missions ministry. It was back in August when I returned from Ghana that I mentioned uh, the ministry there, and I did tell you that I met a young man there, 18 years old, who worked at Hoops for Hope camp in Ghana with me and my son, Tim, and he was an exemplary young man, 18 years old, a senior at his high school there in Ghana, and he has a desire to go on and further his education. He works regularly for the Ministry of Hoops for Hope with Vincent Amaso. Vincent came to visit us um, back uh, a few months ago before Pastor Samuel came, and his name is Stephen, and I've been praying with Stephen since, that's me and Stephen in, in Ghana at that basketball camp, uh, 18 years old, got born again about five years ago, loves serving children uh, and serves in that ministry on a regular basis and has a desire to get his education and whatever that edu- education is and then come back to Ghana and further uh, education and ministry to his people. And so I've actually been praying with Stephen since August. Stephen, let's pray. And he heard about the Master's College and so I've been helping him and he's, he's done a lot of uh, diligent work. It's been very complicated, the process of 
being an international student. So he's applied to the master's college. He was accepted. They've given him some financial aid. Uh, the problem, it cost about $42,000 a year. So we're still praying uh, with Stephen. And I just wanted to give you an update because some of you inquired with me back in August, how can I help Stephen in any way? So I just want to bring you up to speed. I didn't want to say anything until uh, to see if he was going to be diligent, follow through, and what how God might be leading and what the master's college said. And so uh, he's done all of his work, and they've accepted him, and that's his heart's desire, and I told him I'd be praying with him. And so he kind of here's where his status is. 18 years old, lives in Ghana, saved in 2011 through the basketball ministry. He's a coach now for Hoops for Life in Ghana. He wants to study at the Master's College. Uh, the cost is about 42000 for an international student. To date, he has covered the cost up to $16,000 that still he needs to make it a reality. And all I've told him at this point is I'm just, I'll pray with you, brother. And I, uh, I'm in communication with the church in Texas that runs the ministry of Hoops for Hope. Pastor Mark and Mark and I are praying. Um, Mark, if you know anybody just personally at your church that could help Stephen or just pray, that's what we're doing. And I told him I'd do the same. I'd at least make my church people aware of Stephen's need um, and where he's at. He needs 16000 So uh, it was about 26 years ago. When I was in seminary, God dropped a young man in my lap from Belarus, uh, Minsk, Belarus, the Soviet Union. And he became a Christian. And then he got over here to America somehow. And then God dropped him in my lap. And then I helped him uh, go to the master's college just the first year, just to get his foot in the door. And then he just took off. He thrived. The school adopted him. He graduated in four years, became a business major. And now he's just an incredible godly man. He's about my age, has a family of and now he lives in Seattle. And anyway, it, it was life-changing for him. So this is a very similar parallel kind of situation. So I wanted you to be aware of Stephen, where his needs are at this point, and that's why I'm calling it Adopt a Student. Uh, you know those programs, Adopt a Child? This is actually somebody I know. Uh, we have a team of three GBFers that are going to go back to Ghana in July, Lord willing, Timothy, my son, and then Jacob and Aaron Phillip. And Lord willing, they'll get, be, get to work with Stephen again uh, in the ministry there. Uh, just a reminder of the key leaders of the Ghana ministry over there. That's Vincent. He's been at our church and gave his testimony. Vincent will be uh, leading that trip again in Ghana that uh, three of our people get to be a part of. And he works with Stephen. And then we just recently had Pastor Samuel here who preached last March, a, a powerful sermon that he preached out of the Gospels. And he knows Stephen and uh they usually ask Samuel to preach the gospel to the children on the last day of the camp. And then here's a shot. Uh, that's Timothy, my son, and Stephen, another one of our coaches at the camp last summer. And then this is a better shot. Uh, that's Stephen on the right, and then Timothy, my son, on the left, and then two female workers. So uh, if you have any interest at all in supporting Stephen, I did. there are these flyers on the back table give you some information. And also his testimony that he wrote out. Not for me, but he just wrote it out because it was required of the school. He's an A student, by the way. Uh, but keep Stephen in prayer that God might provide. And if you were in a position to adopt uh, Stephen with a one-time gift towards his the remaining 16000 bucks, let me know. You don't have to write a check or give anything, but just let me know verbally. I can commit 50 bucks, or I can commit whatever, and then I'm going to take that information over the next month or so. I'm not telling Stephen at this point. I'm just telling him I'm praying with him. Uh, to see if it's viable and even a possibility. And then by the end of uh, May, I'm going to make an assessment. And also in keeping with our partnership in Texas to see if, what they're able to contribute 
and then at that time communicate to Stephen what we think God's will might be. Maybe it is this year, maybe not at all, or maybe it's in the future. So uh, partner with me at least in prayer uh, regarding that opportunity to really change the future and the course of a young man uh, in a very significant way. And with that, I want to close by reminding you our Hope House ministry in Mexico. We're having that short-term missions trip in July. And I just want to say one sentence that Dr. Bob Provost said at a Master's College chapel 30 years ago when I think I was either a junior or senior at the Master's College. I'll never forget it. I was a new Christian, and Bob oversees missions. He's a missionary to the world, and he challenged the student body and said, if you're a Christian and you have never had an opportunity to go on a short-term missions trip, you need to seriously consider it and pray about it because it will change your life. It will make you a world Christian. It will change your perspective. And so I wanted to challenge, especially members of GBF. If you're, if you're a member of GBF and you've never had an opportunity to go on a short-term missions trip, uh, you need to make it a priority, pray about it, and see if God might lead you at some point soon to do a short-term missions trip, and maybe even consider the one at Hope House uh, coming up in July. We can allow three more people to come. And you don't have to be a member of GBF. You've you got to be a believer, a Christian. Um, and then you would meet with Pastor Bob and the team and prepare you if, if this is what God wants you to do. But I want you to seriously consider that. Um, I'll never forget Bob Provost's words. Once you go on a short-term mission trip to another part of the world, it'll just open up a whole new perspective on how you view the gospel, Christianity, and, and really the universal church. And it'll bless you in ways you can't even imagine. So I will be in prayer, and the elders are going to be in prayer as well that God will raise up the right three people. Um, But at least, thank you so much for considering that. All right, now we're going to transition to uh, a wonderful opportunity we have as a church. Our members know that we have been praying for that God would raise up more elders or shepherds at our church. We have about 160-plus members. We only had five elders, shepherds, and then Uh, about the same amount of deacons, and so we just continue to pray, God, raise up qualified men of God to be shepherds. And so we communicated to our uh, members last month that we believe God has answered that prayer and that God has raised up Dr. Derek Brown, that we have the privilege today of laying hands on or ordaining as our newest elder. He would be elder number six at Grace Bible Fellowship. And before Derek and his family comes up and the elders, I just want to remind us all, of the qualifications of an elder from 1 Timothy 3. I'll just, I'll read it. Before I read 1 Timothy 3, I'm reminded of Titus chapter 1, verse 5, where the part of the phrase says, this is really what God says to the church, appoint elders, plural, in every city. That is a mandate. Appoint, by the way, when the Bible talks about, the New Testament talks about elders, it's always in the plural because your church needs to have a plurality of elders. That is God's design. For many reasons. Appoint elders in every city. And then in Acts 14, it says appoint elders in every church. You can't be a biblical church unless you have a plurality of qualified elders. That is God's design. When Jesus trained the 12 apostles, they were the first elders of the first church. Plurality. And so God has to be the one to raise these men up. And so here are the qualifications according to 
the Apostle Paul, as he's led by the Holy Spirit, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, if any man, and that is a qualification, elders need to be males. They can't be females. Scripture is very clear. It has to do with roles, not importance, roles. Not value or dignity, but roles. Women have roles by God that are just as valuable as the roles he's designated to men in the home and in the church. So it's a man. And the first qualification, he has to have a desire, a very strong, subjective, yet real desire to serve as a shepherd and an elder in the church. And by the way, an elder is a pastor. Same thing. They're interchangeable. It has to be a qualified and called man. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, Derek told me we've known each other for almost 15 years and early on. He, he had a desire to be an elder someday. That was a prayer of his heart, and I've been praying along with him. So it was a very strong desire. If any man aspires to the office of overseer or elder or pastor, it is a fine work he desires to do. Here are the qualifications. An overseer or elder or pastor must be, it is absolutely required, above reproach, the husband of one wife, I mean, a one-woman man committed to his wife. Derek has been committed to Amy for 11 years now in their marriage. Temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, or a lover of strangers, able to teach. Every elder and pastor has, has to have a teaching ministry, either one-on-one or small groups or preaching. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his household well. Not perfectly, otherwise we would all be disqualified. Manages his household well. Well, keeping his children under control with all dignity, but if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care or manage the church of God? He's got to be faithful in his marriage and in his family first. Uh, he shouldn't be a new convert or green, literally, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church, unbelievers, so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. So those are... Basic qualifications of an elder, they're also stated some complimentary ones in Titus chapter 1. So uh, we have the privilege today to recognize Derek. The pattern in the New Testament, by the way, uses words like lay hands on or ordain or appoint. Well, the word appoint in Acts chapter 14, the word appoint literally has the word hand in it, to, to recognize with the extended hand. And it's used two, time, two different ways in the New Testament. Is by the congregation, they recognize, yes, he's qualified to be an elder with their hand. And then the other way, uh, once they designated that person, the leadership would recognize or affirm him with the extension of the hands by laying hands on him. So uh, we actually got the input of our members about Derek. Is he qualified in light of what they know? And the answer unanimously of the feedback we received was yes. Very encouraging. And it's unanimous among our five current elders as well as we've gotten to know Derek even better, and he went through some grueling training for the last 18 months, practical training as well as formal theological training, um, and we were very pleased and satisfied and believe that's how God is leading, so it's our privilege to lay hands on Derek as our newest elder. So Derek, why don't you come up here with your family, Colton, Easton, and Amy, come on down. Y'all can stand right here, and then I'm going to ask our elders to come up, and we're going to surround uh, Derek and his family. Colton, are you five years old? Yeah. Okay, five years old. And Easton, I believe, is four. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Four years old. Yeah. 
and each of the elders, we're going to pray a very specific prayer for Derek, his ministry, his walk with God, his family, and uh, I'm going to ask Sam, to. he's the chairman of our elders, and he's going to start, and then we're just going to go around, and then I'm going to close in prayer, and then we'll celebrate, celebrate, it is a day of celebration, we will celebrate communion together. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we just rejoice this day knowing that you have called and affirmed that Derek is to be the next elder of GBF. We are so thankful for your hand on his life to this point, taking him through all the challenges and trials of life uh, where he's become a husband to Amy and a father to um, his sons. Lord, it's... Uh, marvelous that you use finite people who are fallible and you take the weak and make them strong. And so, Lord, we formally dedicate this de- this day, Derek, uh, to be an elder. We ask your hand of protection on him, that you would allow him to continue to grow in his personal walk with you that he would be like a tree planted by your living waters, that he might continue to grow and abound in in the knowledge and wisdom that comes from being in your word and living out your word. Father, um, we just continue to ask uh, that you keep him humble, keep him teachable, give him a servant's heart to care for the sheep that are entrusted to his care. Father, uh, we ask for a smooth transition with the other elders. Um, Father, we, we just continually need your hand of protection on him because we know that there is an enemy that uh, is going to try to bring on discouragement and frustration. And uh, we know that greater are you who is within us than he that is in the world. And we ask, Father, not only for Derek, but for his entire family, um, Father, uh, we consecrate uh, him to you, and we just rejoice because you are good and you give good gifts to your church. And we believe that Derek is uh, your gift to GBF. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Our gracious Father, I uh, echo the uh, things that Sam has said and it has been wonderful just seeing your hand of providence and in, in your sovereign will bringing Derek to us first as a minister and uh, seeing his, uh, his, his zeal for the ministry, his passion, uh, everything that he has touched. Father, um, you have blessed through him. Uh, it is a uh, tremendous pleasure to have him on staff and something that I know the people don't be able to see is just the energy of the young men on staff that we have here and just in the office week to week. Uh, and Derek is one of those core guys. And we, we praise you and thank you for bringing him here. And as I said, first as a minister, now as an elder, um, we, we thank you, Father. He is a true gift uh, to GBF. We look forward to the years of service that he will have here uh, as an elder. 
but specifically, Father, I think of him and Amy. You are the author of marriage, um, and you brought Amy and Derek together. And Father, I thank you for that, but I also ask just pr- protection. Uh, as a pastor, um, there are strains. Uh, there are sometimes time strains. There are other strains within the ministry uh, that can uh, be hard on, on married life. Um, and, and I also believe there is a bit of a target on a pastor's marriage as well. Uh, if, if the evil one can, can create a chink in the marriage, then ministry follows. And, uh, so Father, I just pray a special, um, protection over Derek and Amy in their marriage, that they will continue to look to you in everything. Uh, from the raising of their children to them and their own partnership and married life. Um, and of course, it's, it's so easy sometimes as an elder, as a pastor, um, and the priorities of church to put your family second. And of course, that is not biblical and we would never want that. And so just protect and give them wisdom both as they seek you, uh, in this next step, Father. In your son's name, I pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much for your gift to us of Derek and Amy and Colton and Easton. Uh, Thank you, God. You've blessed GBF immensely, and you continue to do so uh, with this latest gift. And God, in in terms of Derek as a father, uh, we pray that Derek's philosophy of, of fatherhood is derived um, from nowhere else except your word. And we pray that uh, that understanding of your word is confirmed by the counsel of wise men and women. And uh, we pray that that would be the basis on which he trains up his children. God, I also pray in terms of fatherhood that he and Amy would be a very united uh, set of parents, a married couple to to uh, know how to raise their their uh, children. Would you please give Derek the um, prompting as a leader in this effort? Would you also give him humility as he uh, listens to Amy's um, side of things, her input? Uh, may may he, he be um, one who seeks to, to hear what's good from her side as well. May there be unity in their approach to fatherhood, uh, parenthood. And God, I pray for Colton and Easton. May they, as they grow older, be so very proud that they are children of a pastor. And um, may they, may they uh, be very happy that they are pastor's kids and not be ashamed in any way. Uh, the world will try to attack them and make fun of them, but uh, may the training that uh, Derek and Amy provide for them, the love that they uh, give to their boys, may that result in very mature men of God uh, who love you and are thrilled with the upbringing that they had. And I also pray that you would use uh, Derek and Amy and their parenthood and their family as an example of your ways, God, 
uh, both for those in the church and for those outside the church. That would be a great testimony of your ways and who you are. And so we pray this for, for Derek and Amy in Christ's name. And dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for raising up Derek uh, to be an elder at GBF. Uh, thank you for raising him up and preparing him along the way uh, through seminary, through um, the ministries, ministries here at GBF. And uh, we are so blessed uh, by, by Derek and, and his heart for uh, the people here. And Lord, as you uh, call him to be... Um, a shepherd, uh, may you continue to use him mightily to bless his studies as he teaches and edifies the saints. I pray that um, uh, you help him to um, carefully search the scriptures as he uh, leads and um, and uh, disciples people, as he is a uh, watchman for you and uh, protects the sheep from false teaching. Uh, may he use the scriptures as the foundation for his um, for his life, his convictions, his teachings in everything, Lord. Um, and Father, it's a um, just a wonderful privilege to um, to see him at work. And I pray that you continue to strengthen him, uh, continue to guide him, uh, bring him uh, much joy and delight as he serves you here and. Uh, and through his whole life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And Father, I just uh, echo a hearty amen to what these brothers have prayed. Again, we thank you for your goodness, for establishing the church, universal, but also the local church. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the senior pastor and the only senior pastor, and that we have the privilege to be your under shepherds. I pray that you would preserve the unity of the leader, uh, the elder team. I also pray that you continue to preserve the unity of our wonderful deacon team. And, Father, be gracious in preserving the unity of our members as well as you have done these 10 years. We're humbled by your goodness to us, uh, the gifts you continue to shower upon us. Help us to be faithful stewards by uh, your grace and the power of the Holy Spirit and the ongoing practice of prayer and encouragement from the saints. And we commit it all to you for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's hear it for Derek and Amy. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to have communion, and I used the word celebrate a little earlier with communion, which is legitimate because the Apostle Paul uses several words to describe communion. One of those is Eucharisto, which means to give thanks in a celebratory manner. And so that's if you're a Christian Today, you are invited to be a part of communion with us today, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, the many names that it goes by. And while I'm reading out of 1 Corinthians 11, if the, the gentleman could go ahead and continue, uh, begin distributing the elements and just grab the, the one cup there as it comes by. It's got um, the bread and the cup all in that one. And hold on to that and we'll partake together. Uh, but I do want to read from 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul's explanation reminder of the significance of communion. And just really basic, we don't take communion to earn forgiveness of sin. Some people think that or believe that, that by taking communion, they're actually earning God's forgiveness. They're um, 
earning God's pleasure. They're working their way to heaven. That's not at all what communion is for. We don't take communion to get saved. We take communion because we are saved. So it is a a commemorative act that the Lord Jesus gave as a gift to his church to remember, to remember him, how glorious he is, to remember his sacrifice, to remember that he died on the cross for sinners. He rose again from the dead for sinners. And it's also to be very personal and intimate that he saved you. If you're a Christian, he saved you. He loves you. He's forgiven you. He's coming again in the future, literally, someday, for you, to his people. That is a glorious thought and event. That is worth being celebrated as well. The Lord Jesus, forgiven of all my sins, he's died for me. He's coming again to glorify and receive his people. So that is what we remember and what we celebrate at the time of communion. And here are the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11, the way he describes it. He said, for I received from the Lord. So at some point, the Lord Jesus gave... Revelation to the Apostle Paul, probably through a divine visitation. Absolutely amazing. Jesus was already ascended. He was in heaven. And then he appeared to the Apostle Paul many times. And in one of those occasions, he gave the details and explanation of what communion was all about for the church. For I received from the Lord, that is from the the Lord Jesus Christ, that which I also delivered to you, Corinthian Christians, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed at the Last Supper, he took bread as an illustration. And when he had given thanks... He broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember me as your Savior. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant. Old Testament promise that God would come through the Messiah, through the sacrifice, in a personal relationship, forgive all sin by virtue of his death, put the Holy Spirit of God in you. As a Christian. So if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God living in you today. That is cause for celebration. That is the new covenant. So this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is coming again. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Taking communion in an unworthy manner, first of all, means that if you're not a Christian and you're taking communion, you shouldn't do that. That's really primarily what it means. The second uh, way in context that taking communion in an unworthy manner is uh, presuming upon the grace and the forgiveness of God by hiding or cultivating sin in your life, Um. And that's what some of the Corinthians were doing, being very presumptuous. And Paul says, don't do that. You don't want to be subjected as a Christian to the discipline of the Lord, which the Lord does. So every believer who's taking communion must examine themselves, pray to the Lord in their heart. And in so doing is to eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. So it is our privilege now to uh, examine our own hearts and be thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ um, for this opportunity and this reminder of what he's done on our behalf. And the Lord Jesus said, uh, do this in his memory. So let's eat and drink together in thanksgiving to what Christ has done for us.
And I'm going to go ahead and close us in a, a prayer before our last song. So if you would pray with me. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day, the Lord's Day. A deliberate and specific gift from you to your people. Thank you for the gospel, the good news, that there is rescue, there is salvation, there is forgiveness of sin, there is real life, eternal life, and spiritual life, only in the Lord Jesus Christ, based on his death and resurrection, his ascension on high. We give you the glory for that, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that. Thank you for taking care of the church, for being so specific about how the church is to to run and function, for caring for your church, for being the chief shepherd, Uh, the beautiful gift of communion, just an ongoing reminder that we have as physical beings to remember the meaning of your death on our behalf. So we thank you for salvation in Christ. God, we pray that you will Glorify yourself in us as we depart this place uh, this day and also the rest of the week. Go before us with your Holy Spirit. Make our conscience continually be sensitive to you. We love you. We thank you for this day as we commit it to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at gbfsv.org or call us at 650 650- Six three zero 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 nine.